Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. It is your local community radio station and we'll be talking more about that later on, what it means to have a community radio station because it is Radiothon time. But my name's Andy and I'll be hanging out with you for the next hour broadcasting on Jagera and Turable Country. And today on the show we're going to be talking all about this year's Radiothon theme which is Radio Against the Machine. We are going to be talking about the existential struggle of humans versus machines on the show today. I chat with Oscar Delaney who worked as a researcher for the Alignment Research Centre. His job title was Catastrophic Risks Researcher, researching into artificial intelligence and what risks it posed to humanity. So we, uh, we chat with him about AI, the role it plays in our society currently and the role it could play in the future. I'm also going to speak to Matilda Byrne, who also has a great uh, job title. She is um, the Australian coordinator for the Stop Killer Robots campaign, which is to try to ban lethal autonomous weapons, try to um, stop military and weapons companies developing weapons that can kill humans without anybody needing to be pushing the button. these things sound like science fiction, but they are becoming all too real. And so that's what we'll be digging into on the show today on The Paradigm Shift. Let's get into my chat with Oscar Delaney about artificial intelligence and the risks it poses to our civilization. I'm Oscar. I'm a student here at the University of Queensland. Uh, I've studied all sorts of things, some math, some philosophy, some biology, but I'm also pretty interested in AI and also uh, I guess the world generally and how we can uh, make the world better. So we're going to talk about AI. You've Part of your study in recent years has been studying the existential uh, risk of AI, but um, I guess we better start for, with, a, with the basics of, we hear this word a lot, AI. What are we talking about when we say artificial intelligence and how does generative AI, which has been in the news a lot in the last year or so, how does that differ from any other kind of AI? Mm, Sure. I guess I think of AI as on, uh, like, many things, something of a spectrum, so perhaps at the lower end we might have uh, a calculator. I would say that's probably not really AI at all, because just doing calculations by rote rather than doing anything new or creative. And so what I would think of as a 
uh, more true AI, it would be something that can uh, solve problems in a new or creative way, something that humans haven't uh, directly hard-coded in. So perhaps a chess-playing AI or a protein-solving AI would be examples of that. And then generative AI is a bit uh, more complex again, generally, that rather than just choosing one move out of a few dozen possible chess moves, it uh, needs to choose words out of the whole set of possible words or pixels out of all possible pixels to create uh, fully novel text or images. Mm. So it has been in the news because we've had things like uh, ChatGPT and DALI, like these sort of fun, free internet um, generative AI things which have caused a lot of a stir. You know, a lot of people just, we see them on our social media feeds, but also there's been concerns around school essays and things like that. But is generative AI, besides these kind of novelty things, how much is it already in usage in our society? Yeah, it's an interesting question, and one I, I don't feel that well-qualified to answer. I guess I can say, for me personally, I, I do use uh, generative AI uh, a moderate amount, so most, uh, most days I'll probably ask uh, at least some things to ChatGPT. Uh, so, for instance, I'm uh, writing a fair bit of code for uh, university for my research project there, and uh, if I don't know how to use a particular uh, module, or if I haven't uh, done uh, something before, then I might ask ChatGPT, oh, okay, how would you use this function? Can you give me an example of this? So I, I find it uh, quite useful. Uh, I'm guessing many other people do as well. But we probably have only really started to scratch the surface of how we can use these tools to enhance our own uh, productivity and ability to create text and images. So I'm guessing we'll see a lot more of it as, as we go forward. So there have been various discussions about the ethics of AI and some of them are related to future risks to our species and planet and um, some of them much more uh, related to the present. Can you give us a bit of an overview of some of the ethical issues that we're already seeing? We'll get later to the mm. future ones, but some of the ones that are already um, around us. Well, I think because we as humans are the only example we have of creatures that can solve complex intellectual problems, we basically have no choice but to train AIs on humans and human-generated data. And because humans, sadly, uh, sometimes aren't very nice, sometimes are biased, sometimes make quite bad decisions, sometimes are racist or sexist, the data that we generate, while it can be good to train AIs to solve some sorts of problems, it also inbuilt and embedded within that human-generated data are all these nasty things. So, for example, if I uh, am training an AI to uh, make parole decisions for a court or sentencing decisions, then if judges and magistrates have historically been uh, biased against poorer people or people of certain races or uh, genders, then the AI will learn that because it's very, very good at spotting patterns in data, and then it might uh, replicate that when it's advising on these decisions. So whatever humans do do badly and whenever we uh, make mistakes, AI, because it's so good at pattern matching, will often uh, learn that and copy that, uh, which can be uh, very bad. Alright, so what about the big long-term existential issues we've seen? Even people like the creator of ChatGPT talk about this, um, and it is something that you spent quite a bit of time researching. 
What are some of the big, long-term, what some would say, existential issues raised by AI? I think I like to split it roughly into two categories. The first is uh, what we might call misuse. So a human uh, is still in control of the AI, but uh, perhaps we just don't like that human very much and we think they're using the AI pretty badly. So, for example, uh, if we had an authoritarian regime uh, develop uh, a very advanced AI system, then we, uh, at least among liberals, don't particularly like what authoritarian regimes do in terms of uh, surveillance and repression of minorities and so forth. So uh, perhaps if you had a North Korea or a China or so forth with uh, a powerful enough AI that they could not only have their human employees uh, monitoring uh, their whole populace very carefully, but a far more advanced system with uh, a personalised AI tracker for everyone and monitoring all uh, speech and communication, then that would just be uh, very, very difficult to mount any sort of resistance to that regime. And that regime could last for a very long time if we had uh, this sort of AI to completely suppress all subversive activity. So I think that's one worry is people will misuse AI. I think another somewhat separate worry that perhaps gets more hype because it's a bit more dramatic is if the AIs themselves start making uh, bad decisions that are adverse to human interests. So uh, of course there's various uh, media and popular culture representations of this. The Terminator is often brought up. I think it's, it's very difficult to predict what sorts of scenarios are actually most plausible but at a high level I suppose we are training these AIs to be intelligent, able to uh, solve problems creatively, and it's just quite difficult to know what their true motivations will be. I suppose one analogy I like to use is that we, as humans, are making these AIs to be in our image, uh, to talk like us and sound like us in ChatGPT and so forth, but under the hood, the AIs are just these massive matrices and numbers and functions in computers that are really nothing like human reason or emotion at all. And so uh, the AIs are, in a sense, an alien species that we are uh, creating, and we don't understand what their motivations or intentions and desires will be. And so once they are sufficiently powerful, it's just very, uh, in my opinion, difficult to predict what their ultimate ends will be. Hopefully they are aligned with uh, human values and human interests, but I think it's, it's pretty difficult to be sure of that. And so if they AIs have values that are quite different to ours, maybe they uh, wouldn't end up being very nice humans. So let's um, do our own kind of responding to prompts and imagining something creative. And what kind of scenarios might, might we be talking about where AIs would pose an existential risk to humans? Well, let's imagine that we train an AI uh, to uh, do medical research and help us with uh, treating lots of diseases, a very noble noble goal. Uh, but uh, perhaps if we haven't done our training and instructions very carefully, then rather than just doing conventional medical research, the AI will want to uh, conduct uh, trials in an unethical way, perhaps uh, use uh, lots of humans and just give them random drugs and see, see what works. So that would of course isn't existential, existential, but could still be very bad. In terms of more existential things, uh, if things go really badly, perhaps the AI will uh, work out that the best way to 
prevent these diseases from having much toll is just to turn humans into digital humans because then uh, digital humans don't get cancer so perhaps the AI will decide like, okay that's the best solution we will just uh, upload everyone's uh, scan for everyone's brain into a computer and run them there uh, perhaps they will decide like, okay that's just too much work it's easy just to uh, kill the humans and then they won't get uh, heart disease and cancer and so forth of course these like very toy examples that I don't think will actually happen but it uh, gives something of a flavour of uh, if we do badly in terms of training AIs to have human values they just don't understand what humans want or don't don't care what what we want mm. and the, I mean you've just said there that those are examples you don't think that will happen but within the high level AI world there is genuine concern that an AI could train itself once it does sort of machine learning that it could train itself into something that would do a, a lot of damage how how genuine do you think is that threat yeah I think uh, even though any specific story we could name I think isn't very likely and we shouldn't worry about too much I think I am still worried about the overall scenario mainly just because it's so hard I think to predict what will happen so one reason I think it's it's hard to predict what will happen is that there's just so many computers and so much computing power in the world that once we have very advanced AIs uh, it's actually likely going to be possible to run uh, a very large number of them so even today you can have uh, tens of millions of people around the world using ChatGPT and so somewhere in OpenAI's uh, warehouses of, of servers and computer uh, chips uh, they are running many 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 uh, requests to ChatGPT and so in, in the future uh, assuming we have a, a very advanced AI system it's likely that uh, we can run many many copies of that so perhaps initially we have three of these super uh, advanced human level AIs and then uh, they will be able to do, as you're saying, uh, self-improving uh, research. Perhaps they can research uh, how to design computer chips better or how to tweak an algorithm to be uh, run slightly faster. And then with those improvements, then uh, soon there'll be five of these AIs and then uh, 10 and 100. And so uh, because the limitations for AIs in terms of chips, electricity, energy, hardware, are not actually that restrictive and we can make more electricity more computer chips uh, fairly quickly particularly if the AI is optimizing uh, how to do this most efficiently then we could very quickly I think be outnumbered in some sense by AIs that they don't uh, have human limitations in terms of reproduction or food sleep so uh, AIs are very efficient and will become very numerous and then let's say we are, we're in this world where there's 10 billion humans but 100 billion human-ish intelligence AIs then that will just be a wild wild world where uh, there's all this cognitive labor and thinking going on that humans just don't have much access to and I uh, struggle to imagine what that world would be like and whether it would be a good world or a bad world so more than worrying about a very specific outcome of what goes wrong I think we just don't really know and should be pretty careful when we don't know uh, about something so so serious mm. now you've been a part of this world you are over in the US with programmers talking about the risks of AI and things like that so I, you probably have more of a grasp of what kind of conversations are happening around this and I'm interested when people talk about existential threats to humanity from AI does this mean 
purely threats to our existence, whether we live or not, or is it is there a worry that there's some kind of fundamental essence of humanity that will be taken away the more powerful that robots which purely logically respond to prompts the more powerful they come they become that we humans embedded as we are with these machines that we're losing something of the the human essence mm. yeah i think as as perhaps you've guessed in in the question i would say the uh fairly technically minded computer programmers and AI engineers are generally less less interested in these quite fuzzy humanistic concerns, more interested in more precise and technical and large-scale issues rather than uh, humans not being in touch with their feelings or with nature or so forth. So I think, yes, these issues are not particularly prominent among the people creating AIs. I think in terms of how serious these issues are, my guess is that for myself, I I do uh, very much like having the ability, or at least the perceived ability, to do impactful things, to make uh, a difference, to try to uh, achieve change. And so if we're living in a world where AIs run everything and humans are perhaps just in a luxurious bubble with AIs doing everything for us, uh, yeah, that, that doesn't sound very attractive to me. I think I'd prefer to be uh, out there achieving things, but yeah, this probably isn't uh, foremost among the concerns of people building AI. So there's been a lot of talk about the concerns of AI, and yet the development um, continues unabated. Even there was a call from Sam Altman for a six-month moratorium or something, and of course everybody's just kept making it, kept developing it. What are the drivers that mean these things keep being made, even while a lot of people are saying we should be very worried about this? Mm, Yeah, it's true. It It is a strange dynamic. I guess one thing that comes to mind for me is back in the Cold War, lots of people thought, oh, nuclear weapons, they're very dangerous. Of course they are, uh, very bad. We shouldn't be uh, building so many. And yet, because there was this race between uh, the US and the USSR, it was pretty hard for them to coordinate and mutually scale back. Eventually, they did manage to reach uh, some agreements and cut back on their number of nuclear weapons. So I, I don't think we're in quite that dire a comparative race dynamic, but I think there is some element of that, that if, as you're mentioning, OpenAI slows down for a while, perhaps they're worried that Meta or uh, DeepMind will overtake them or uh, achieve uh, better results while they're on a pause. Or perhaps uh, even more so, a AI company in China or Russia or wherever. So I think that's, that's part of it, that people are just worried that if I uh, kind of do the right thing and be very slow and cautious, that other more reckless actors will uh, sprint past me and go and do dangerous things. And so even though perhaps Sam Altman and others are worried about a powerful AI, they might think, well, at least I'm a safe pair of hands. I want to be in the lead, making all the important decisions, rather than those uh, dangerous people over at uh, Facebook or uh, Baidu or wherever. So I think that's that's one reason. Probably also just uh, economically, there's huge amounts of money to be made from building the best AIs. And we all know that companies are there uh, primarily, at least, to, to make money. So that's probably a big reason. Companies like um, ChatGPT and Dali and things like this are 
at the moment producing content for free, a lot of content, and presumably it's very difficult actually to create, how are they making all this money? Yeah, good, good question. Uh, I think mm. mainly, uh, like for, for such a long time, uh, Facebook, say, didn't make any money, it was just uh, at a loss and just uh, developing this huge user base. I think it's, it's mainly similar for companies like OpenAI. They are just developing these great products, getting more and more people to use them, uh, becoming more popular, getting better publicity, and then perhaps later we'll start making lots of money once we've uh, got that uh, product and that customer base. At the moment, the sorts of ways to make money from AI is, uh, I guess, advertising, of course. Uh, so if uh, someone can use some of OpenAI's products to generate better advertising, uh, that would uh, make, make money. More, more generally, I think we as society should be giving companies good incentives, so allowing them to make money doing uh, valuable things rather than just these uh, profit-maximizing things. So say DeepMind made this protein-folding AI a few years ago, perhaps you saw that's actually been really useful for biologists and medical researchers, but they probably, uh, as far as I know, haven't actually made much money from that AI because they did the right thing and gave it to medical researchers for free. So good on them, uh, but also I think we should be incentivizing this sort of beneficial AI research rather than just the advertising money-making sort. So there must be a lot of money going around just to power these machines and pay people salaries and things like that. Is it just investment capital? Is that what all this money is? Yeah, I think so. So OpenAI uh, has a big partnership with Microsoft. Of course, Microsoft is already very rich. DeepMind is uh, owned by Google's parent company, Alphabet. So uh, yeah, there is just heaps of money to invest. Uh, and even though these are large sums of money that are being spent at these top AI companies, uh, billions of dollars, uh, they're not actually in the scheme of corporate profits and uh, the size of corporations. Uh, it's not actually huge. Uh, in fact, that's kind of basically Google's business model. They make uh, lots of money with their uh, mainstream uh, services uh, and then can afford to put in lots of research and development money in more speculative areas that might pay off uh, in the big, uh, big time later on. Yeah, there is a sector of the computer world, Silicon Valley, who are very attached to AI expanding and there's this idea of the singularity that it's like a, a sort of new frontier for humanity once AI becomes more powerful than humans. And even um, most notably, I guess Yuval Harari has written about dataism as the, the new uh, dominant ideology religion of the 21st century or something like that. Um, can you talk a bit about these kind of ideas about, in a quasi-religious sense, about AI and, I guess, how prominent they are in the development of it? I think partly it's just that the things AI will be able to do are quite possibly uh, beyond all the intellectual accomplishments humans uh, could achieve. And so... Uh, many of the people uh, building AIs, I think, are genuinely very intellectually curious, creative people who would uh, be, be very interested to see what uh, maths and physics problems AIs can solve and what we insights we would have about uh, biology and economics and philosophy and any other uh, field of human uh, creative insight once we have these AIs that can think perhaps eventually better than, better than we can. So, yes, I think... Uh, lots of people are interested to see where AIs will go. In terms of this more 
speculative or, or fringe views uh, trying to create this super intelligent AI. Um, I suppose why people might be interested in that uh, is that if we think humans will eventually die out uh, by some other uh, causes, perhaps from an asteroid impact like the dinosaurs or uh, from a, a huge global pandemic or a, a massive nuclear war or a super volcano or uh, something else, then perhaps people would think, well, if we had a super intelligent AI, that would allow us to uh, colonize uh, the stars, spread far and wide, and humanity and, or at least uh, post-humanity, as they uh, might say, to survive uh, for a very, very long time indeed. All right, well, if we are um, worried about artificial intelligence robots taking over humanity, what should we be doing now to try to stop that from happening? Yeah, it's, uh, it's surprisingly tricky to know what to do, I think. A few things come to mind that, of course, uh, we need lots of clever, diligent people directly working with their careers on making AI safer. So uh, if you're good at maths and coding and AI type things, then of course you can uh, directly try to think about the technical problems of how we can make sure AIs don't have human biases or uh, will share human's interests. That's, uh, I suppose, a more niche and technical thing that many people uh, won't be as interested in or capable of. Uh, more broadly, I think we need uh, lots of great civil servants, people working uh, yeah, uh, government, but also uh, NGOs and civil society trying to not do technical AI work, but more thinking about the regulatory architectures we need to uh, make sure that companies have the right incentives and uh, be able to uh, find them or shut them down if they're doing uh, the wrong thing. I think there is also uh, certainly room for individuals and small groups uh, doing activism and just broadly advocating for uh, things we believe in. So perhaps in the uh, tour of Europe that Sam Altman was doing, uh, there were a bunch of groups uh, protesting OpenAI and uh, trying to get them to slow down and not produce uh, as advanced AIs as, as quickly. So. I'm not sure how impactful that's been thus far, but I think uh, certainly there is precedent for popular movements of people uh, protesting uh, technologies and ideas that they think are dangerous, uh, that that can uh, achieve some impact, uh, particularly when coupled with more uh, inside work uh, trying to persuade governments to do better regulations. There's also, of course, as with uh, roughly anything, you can just find anyone you agree with and think is doing valuable work and you can uh, donate money to help them uh, do more of that work. And perhaps the, the final thing then is just to think carefully and learn more about what uh, the future of AIs could be and uh, try to think for yourself about what the uh, best outcomes would be, what the worst outcomes could be, and consider uh, how, how worried we should be and what uh, we should do about it, that of course I and many of the people who have thought about this, uh, we are a bit worried but we don't really know uh, what's best to do. We have of course some, some ideas but we also say, uh, always need more people thinking about uh, these problems and what is best to do. Alright, thanks Oscar. Great. Thanks Andy. You are listening to Radio Against the Machine for Triple Z 102.1 FM. This is the Paradigm Shift and we were talking with Oscar Delaney about artificial intelligence and the threat it poses to human life as we know it. And, of course, 
In the news, there's occasionally now these stories about the existential crisis like we were sort of talking about. But, of course, worth remembering is the role that these algorithms play already in our lives. And that's one of the things we're trying to highlight in Radiothon this year. Radio Against the Machine is that um, here it's about a community, right? It's about people um, working on the things that they love, sharing things that are important to our community. It's not some uh, computer-generated content um, that you're tuning into and I think it's very worth being conscious of the media we consume and whose interests it's in and whether, you know, it was made from somebody because they thought it would make the world better or whether it's just a computer generated for profits. Now, I've got another interview I'm going to play with Matilda Byrne about killer robots, lethal autonomous weapons. Um, It sounds like a bad sci-fi, but it is the life we are living in on planet Earth 2023. Let's have a listen to Matilda. My name's Matilda Byrne and I'm the National Coordinator of the Australia Stop Killer Robot campaign based at Safeground. So Stop Killer Robots sounds quite alarming um, and your campaign is around what are more commonly known as lethal autonomous weapons. Can you give us a bit of an introduction about what we're talking about when we say lethal autonomous weapons? Yes, of course. So, um, as you say, Stop Killer Robots does sound a little bit sort of sci-fi or future dystopian, but really what we're talking about in general is autonomous weapons, which we're already seeing sort of used in conflict and developed and deployed. So, autonomous weapons are any weapon system that has autonomous functions. So, things like um, its flight and how it manoeuvres, and then on, on sort of the more other end we have concerns around sort of autonomous targeting so things like a weapon that can on its own using software you know detect targets and even um, in some cases when we're talking about lethal autonomous weapons or fully autonomous weapons decide who to target to confirm those targets on its own and you know apply force so potentially you know kill a human target uh, when we're talking about fully autonomous weapons and that's sort of the pointy end that we're really concerned about uh, and want really strict regulation around and of course autonomous weapons in general uh, do sort of bring a whole host of new concerns. Yeah, I mean, from a strategic perspective, you can certainly see the advantage of autonomous weapons in that um, you don't have to worry about losing a life when you send them out and that also you don't have to worry about um, human error or fallibility um, or even empathy. What are some of the ethical concerns around autonomous weapons? Yeah, so I think you've just touched on some of the really common arguments we hear for those that are proponents of autonomous weapons or having increasing autonomy, but there's really some great concerns with those. So on the idea of sort of not needing, you know, to send troops out and all this kind of thing, something we're really concerned about is how that lowers the threshold of war and actually takes away a lot of the real... Uh, you know, awfulness that's associated with conflict and killing that we really need to be restrained in warfare and to, I guess, hopefully minimise the amount of harm and to think twice about starting new wars. Um, And connected to that, you mentioned, uh, you know, things like having less errors if we have autonomous weapons in there instead of humans. But actually, we know machine error is a huge concern uh, and that the technology will fail and that there's a lot of scope for 
you know, real problems if there isn't a human control and checking and verification. So things like um, escalation or potentially doing a strike that's unwanted and escalating war or simply just, you know, targeting the wrong person is a real concern. And in terms of the broader ethical concerns, we have this real question about um, sort of the value of life and the decision of life and death and whether as you know, humanity, we're comfortable with delegating that to a machine because obviously with autonomous weapons, it's something that we're seeing uh, as, a, as a potential future prospect that we think there really needs to be a moral red line there. But it also uh, has implications for other applications of AI in society as well. If we're talking about uh, this question of uh, life and death decisions and AI and decision-making. Now, traditionally in warfare, there's huge technological leaps when there's significant conflicts going on a lot of money and energy is put into developing new weapons and at the moment we're in a situation where there's a a sort of proxy war between major powers in ukraine um have we seen new developments in the sphere of autonomous weapons in the last couple of years Absolutely. I think the last couple of years, there's been a lot of acceleration and a rapidly sort of expanding developments to do with autonomy in systems, um, in particular sort of aerial systems and what we call loitering munitions, um, as well as other land vehicles and capabilities. And one place that we're really seeing this play out is in the conflict in Ukraine, uh, with a lot of sort of developers and also countries sending new AI. And essentially, this conflict is a testing ground where where we know that these weapons are, because of their autonomous capabilities, they're most likely to have errors when they're used sort of for the first time or in a new environment or a dynamic environment, which exactly is what these conflicts are. And, uh, you know, we've heard from Western sort of weapons developers saying, oh, well, it's a great opportunity to use all of these new developments and see how they, you know, operate in real context. But we also need to be quite alarmed about this and also really careful. And it just shows the impetus to put regulation in place because this isn't sort of something for down the road. It's happening now and we need to have better regulation and limits around autonomy and, you know, new international law that... um, exists over the top of all this in terms of yeah trying to create international laws around uh, conflict which is one of the aims of your campaign i mean we've seen in in ukraine right both sides using cluster munitions which there's a united nations treaty against has it affected that as well the rules of warfare it's one thing when you're not in a conflict having these rules but when they're actually people are fighting often those rules are seen as a lot more flexible or something Yeah, look, uh, there's a lot of concerns around this, you know, use now of cluster munitions in the conflict in Ukraine by sort of both sides, as you've said, in the recent developments around the US sending munition stockpiles to Ukraine. But, you know, the fact is that these legally binding instruments are really important. And the Cluster Munitions Convention has been in place since 2008. And what we see in general is a stigmatisation of their use, that they're not used easily and readily anymore, that they're not produced and all of these kinds of things. And they do overall have incredible effects into reducing harms. And there may be some sort of outlier scenarios like we're seeing currently with Ukraine, but these instruments are really important and they do have uh, power and they do make states change their behaviour. 
And so that's exactly what we're seeking in terms of autonomous weapons, having a legally binding instrument that specifically addresses those and has sort of certain prohibitions on the lethal autonomous or fully autonomous weapons uh, like we were talking about earlier and also in other ways uh, regulates and has obligations on how autonomy can and cannot be used uh, in warfare. So let's bring it back to Australia now. And, of course, um, big military uh build-up and new technological deals to do with the Australian military have been in the news around the AUKUS agreement. Um, are there any concerns about Australia uh, becoming part of uh, some kind of program to develop lethal autonomous weapons through the AUKUS agreement? Uh, yeah, completely. Um, already, Australia over the last few years has shown that appetite from defence and defence industry and arm companies to develop in this area and really try to be on the forefront of innovation. Uh, so that's already happening. We have this kind of expanding landscape of funding, of companies, of projects that are being done in Australia with very little, I would say, oversight or kind of key guidelines around what's required in terms of these developments and limits uh, and requirements. Um, and as you say, now we also have AUKUS in the equation, the security alliance between US, UK and Australia. And the second pillar of that alliance is all around advanced capabilities. And, you know, AI and autonomy is a big part of that. Recently, the UK hosted some uh, an autonomy trial, which was essentially testing of some systems uh, where the US, UK and Australia had collaborated. So we know that that's something that's going to be ongoing and only sort of increase as autonomy and these kind of systems are developed more and used more. Uh, and our collaboration with these partners kind of continues as it's slated to with this agreement. Uh, but what that also means is Australia needs to really be clear about asserting what it sees as acceptable and what projects it can partner with and how it sees these military operations playing out. And it, there's real imperative to have that set out straight and clear when we are also collaborating with partners that we know don't have a track record as being as conscientious in terms of international humanitarian law uh, and the like than Australia does. Now, let's get a little bit sci-fi, right? Because also on today's show, we're going to be talking about sort of existential questions around AI. And lethal autonomous weapons they really do fit into this i guess if thinking a long way down the track if there's very developed ai and they start to have interests different to humans in the sphere of autonomous weapons i is there concern about what happens if you know ais get out of control and then they have control of these weapons yeah so i think in general seeding you know control over to autonomous weapons or weapons that can target autonomously is the huge concern of what we're talking about, not even as a dystopian future. It's all about the humans being able to make decisions, verify what's going on and ensure that anything that's happening and the way the weapons are used is in line with the outcomes that we want to see because we know that unpredictability is a huge issue with AI. You know, the black box, this question of, well, we tell it to do one thing and we're not really sure how it gets to the conclusion is, you know, a massive concern well before we have these, you know, potential future AI uh, systems that can think for themselves and make their own targets. You know, we even know that 
there's, there was an instance which was kind of this unclear now if it was just a simulation or this kind of thought exercise that was done by the American Air Force, but where they had a system that wasn't able to reach its objectives with the parameters that were put into it. And so it decided that killing its operator was not one of the you know, red lines that it couldn't do. And so that's how it went about um, you know, achieving its objective in this particular kind of thought exercise that was recounted recently at a conference. And so, you know, even examples like this show the huge issues. And I just wanted to also pick up on this point because you talked about sort of AI and into the future and concerns. There's this concept of digital dehumanization, which is all about how, you know, either through sensor processing or other means, our data is understood by machines and then potentially used in ways that cause, you know, negative effects and harms. And this is something that we're already starting to see from anything to, you know, automating how students' marks um, are allocated for assignments, you know, whether someone gets a bank loan, the criminal justice system and criminal sentencing, and of course the sharp end of that autonomous weapons, the use to, you know, target and kill in warfare. It's this whole spectrum of harm that we're seeing with these AI technologies that society really needs to think about and start addressing when it thinks about the way that we use AI so that we don't see that sort of dystopian future that you mentioned. Okay, if people want to find out more about the campaign to stop killer robots and lethal autonomous weapons, how can they do so? Well, um, if they just type in stopkillerrobots.org, there will be a lot of uh, information they can find there about the global campaign. I'm based at SafeGround, which is an Australian organisation seeking to reduce the impacts of legacy and emerging weapons. So you can look us up, SafeGround, and we're also active on social media across Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, so is Safe Ground and the Australia Stop Killer Robot campaign. So that's how people can find us and learn more about what we do. All right, thanks very much, Matilda. Thank you so much for having me. That was Matilda Byrne from the campaign to stop killer robots. Um, of course, lethal autonomous weapons already being developed and we're playing catch-up from the... You know, those who profit off death who are already working on killer robots. And so that is an important issue to be focusing on. But of course, as we know, that actually humans are quite easily programmed to kill other humans um, by, you know, their superiors in military or at the moment programmed to destroy our planet as it has, you know... We happily, by the dollar signs and by the norms of our society, we're easily enough programmed to do terrible things. And so part of it is, you know, yeah, we should be critical about technology, but also we've got to work out what it is to be human, uh, what are the things that make it good to be human, and how do we live them out and not just um, be uh, part of the machine. And so... I. Encourage everybody to do that. Get off your screens every now and then. I'm sure that helps uh, to do it. And, of course, subscribe to 4ZZZ. Keep your local independent media going. And that's all we have time for on the Paradigm Shift this week. I'll be back next week, of course. I'll see you then. 